Okay. Well, hello everybody. Another of our player interviews. And today we get to sit down with... Matt. Who plays... No one. And uh, no one is our enigmatic uh, tiefling monk. Uh, so let's uh, let's go jump all the way back to the very beginning. So uh, why don't we why don't we t uh, hear a little bit about you and your history with Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games in general, and then we'll go on to the uh, character. All right, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was about eleven, so that'd be nineteen eighty one. You know, played with one of my cousins off and on, and then um, I guess the first real serious campaign started when I was maybe 15. Uh, an older cousin had a, a pretty big uh, campaign that spanned several years. Uh, I started off as a, a thief. Was I a halfling thief? I think I was a halfling thief. Um, then... Um, you know, uh, the rule book came out where you could be a thief acrobat, and I switched to that, and I wish I didn't because that was one of the worst classes you could ever be. You yeah, know, a 2% that... chance of dodging, and that was your entire turn. Yeah, it was uh, kind of universally reviled. It's like, why, 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 did they possibly, uh, why did they possibly make that rule set? And then, of course, to make matters worse, uh, they uh, made one of the characters in the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon the acrobat oh, yeah. like wow this must be really cool no <laughs> no you couldn't do anything that cool so that was you know after several years we we uh we finished the dungeon the final boss was a lich um pretty much i played two characters actually a thief and i played a, a cleric we each had two two characters so the lich uh put up a wall of force in between it except for a little gap in the ceiling so and just started ricocheting lightning bolts off the ceiling and just wiping us out. We we couldn't do much. I mean, we had some spells we were doing, but everyone was down except the cleric. And the cleric had like three hit points left. And the lich was was hurting at this point. So what did I do? What could I do? A wimpy spell. I summoned the spiritual hammer on the other side of the wall of force behind the lich. And, and I struck the final blow. So... You know, no good. I was thought you were gonna say you guys got wiped in the end. No, you know, the clerics weren't super tough, but tough enough to beat the lich. So um, then I had uh, during that time I played some Gamma World, which was cool, and like Marvel superheroes, which was cool but not super fun. I didn't like the system too much, and then uh, kind of a dry spell for several years until Michael started his campaign. And that was what four years ago. Like three years ago, really. Three years where we twenty fifteen is the, yeah. the, the first timestamp we have. Yeah. Yeah, but not and, of this campaign. No, but true, we yeah. had. Yeah, you uh, were you're in on the play test. Some other campaign. play tests. So. Yeah. yeah um, so yeah, you got to be in on the whole uh, run up to to fifth edition, and and that was fun. That was neat yeah. to do. Um, that very first uh, iteration that they hand out, the very first pamphlet, wasn't. Yeah. Too far off the red box basic yeah. set from back in nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, it was cool. I was yeah. a snobby elven wizard. That was good. Yeah, we walked on the ceilings. Yeah, I walked on wood and wood. Had such disdain for the other races that they didn't deserve the spell, but would simply shoot them with a the bow. And then, we must would would deign to use a spell to to save the party or something. If if you need me to. Yeah. Yes. But, um, actually, that 
mirrors. I'm trying to remember which one of the original wizards. I think it was Tensor. Was uh, supposedly was was uh, likely to uh, rush into combat with his dagger first, yeah. and then only use his spells when he got himself in trouble. Yeah. So, which probably was pretty uh, awesome when he unleashed. But well, you know, no one targeted the wizard if you did that. You know. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, you. Uh, Got in on the original 5th uh, edition playtest. We got to go through all the fun things there. And then we started the campaign up. And so where did the idea of no one come from? Well, I like the idea of playing a monk. Frankly, I was playing like Baldur's Gate or something on the PC. 2000 and something. And I was a monk and I was like, oh, I had Quivering Palm. And I remember entering an arena and just... Killing the Beholder with one shot. So I was like, well, that's an interesting choice. So I opted to be a monk, and then I chose Tiefling because that seemed the most challenging. Everyone expects a Tiefling to be a warlock. So I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, and, and it was a challenge on, on more than one thing because uh, I had not planned for uh, the exotic races in, in uh, the... Uh, campaign so that one's like all of a sudden how, uh, how are we going to explain there's a tiefling luckily tieflings are kind of easy to explain you know in basic terms i mean we've got something that's you know half devil half human or something and yeah. so there's all sorts of possibilities that, that you can do there um not quite like it is with uh you know uh, jesse choosing a half drow or mm -hmm. uh Drew choosing a dragonborn. Each one of those all of a sudden required me to actually go and invent an entire race, and and uh, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, where where did these guys fit into this world? Because if you remember, the original cast that we had had um, a gnome, two half elves, an elf, um, and then the tiefling, mm -hmm. and so it was a little more vanilla. But uh, this current cast is quite a bit more unusual and exotic, mm -hmm. so. Um, and you know tieflings whenever you get the rule books there's a tiefling on every other page so they're not that uncommon in no. the world well it just depends on your world obviously yeah. um you know you can make a really cosmopolitan world where you know kobolds and and halflings are sitting down side by side at the tavern and across the room is uh cambion and and uh dragonborn yeah or you could have a much more restricted world kind of like we do where mainly it's you know, we've seen mainly humans, elves, half elves, halflings, halflings dwarves, and, and gnomes once in a while, and uh, makes for a uh, you know different flavor to the campaign. It's all about that flavor, really. Mm -hmm. um, so now, um, give us a brief history of of Noan. Um, you, we've alluded to a little bits and pieces of it in the uh, in the game so far, but. Um, Give us a, a little more in-depth. Where, where did Noan come from? Where, what uh, so you what want, brought him to this? You this want his, his history, back yeah. history. So, um, born in a little village. Um, you know, mom didn't know dad, obviously, and dad didn't care. But, uh, you know, mom tried to raise him up as best he could, but, but couldn't bear um, a, devilish, a devilish child, so abandoned him. And so... He uh, kind of was adopted. I'm trying to remember. It was so long yeah. since I wrote the backstory, but like an uncle or something in this village. and uh, But was, you know, kind of treated like Harry Potter was by uh, his aunt and uncle, only a little worse because, 
you know, he has horns. And, and, unlike the red-headed stepchild, you're the red, red-skinned yeah. stepchild. So, um, ostracized by the town, as you might expect. Um, wasn't evil. Didn't ever want to be evil. But, you know, when you're bullied and ostracized and you're kind of on the outskirts, you know, he, he dabbled in some thievery and stuff. And then finally got got kicked out. And so ran off to the woods and was old enough and was able to survive in that environment, which is why I chose to make no one chaotic neutral. So the neutral part, you, you sort of need to be in, in the wild. You, you're just surviving. There's good or evil when you're kind of a hermit doesn't apply so much. It's the just chaotic, the law of nature yeah, at that point. The chaos was just how we grew up. Um, but certainly there is some bents towards being uh, maybe more evil due to that, and everyone expects that of him. So he's, he's playing that line. Um, but while in the woods, um, heard a commotion and saw uh, a robed figure fighting, I think it was orcs or something, and just took them all out and was amazed uh, with the speed uh, which this person could move and how... And he seemed to, uh, at ease, deal with this band of orcs. So he was hiding in the woods, but but this master um, turned around and spotted him and said, "No, you're you're coming with me." So at this point, you know we don't know why, you know no one was chosen. You know this devilish, impish-looking creature poking his head out through the foliage, but he was, and the master, who we fondly have now named Master Cho is uh took him to the monastery and that's where he started learning yeah now how was his time at the monastery we've kind of alluded to in the beginning that uh it was kind of um tenuous that he he didn't he never really quite fit in there you know the the monastery obviously for a a uh a uh martial tradition has you know really strict rules and so forth and and he, you know, growing up out the wild and on the streets and being kicked around is quite, you know, was kind of used to doing his own thing. And it seemed like, you know, we had a case of a, a square peg in a round hole here. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly he's not one to follow rules per se um, or other people's rules. We'll leave it at that. But enough respect for Master Cho. I mean, someone who did pull him, pull him out of out of the wild. And he's, he's no dummy. He can appreciate that. Um, so out of respect for the master, he, he was able to persist. And, you know, it's not so much that the other students at the monastery was ostracizing him. He was the one who would, at this point, isolate himself. I mean, if one community has, has cast you out, you know, he's just waiting for the next one to do so. So he, he decided to take the preemptive move and just uh, keep to himself. At that he kept time. to himself, and, you know, Master Cho realized he needed to find himself. So branded his arms, one one with a griffin and the other arm a dragon, I believe, and said, uh, out you go. And he was just going out the tunnel. He heard the the scurrying of tiny feet, and, and Adri was there. Yeah. Of course, he and Adri have known each other. They've trained for many years, mm -hmm. so... Uh, and it turned out that that was a requirement. There's two sets of handprints, one on each door. So apparently, only the uh, students, when they graduate, can only leave in pairs. Yeah. 
So it was uh, sort of destined to be, at least uh, um, by chance or by contrivance. Yeah. Um, and uh, actually, I don't know if uh, Jesse got it, but did you get the uh, the uh, Easter egg there with the, the branded arms? That was like Kung Fu, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, she's, she's too young to, yeah, to exactly. know what Kung Fu is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that that was obviously the the uh, the seminal moment in the opening of Kung Fu. Every time was David Carradine grabbing the giant yeah. flaming pot with his arms and moving it, and then branding his arms. Yeah. And uh, so it was like, oh, we we need to have that in our game as well. So when, once you, once you leave the monastery, you're you're uh, marked forever as as a member of the monastery. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, so where where do is uh, no one going after all this? Obviously, he's on his own specific quest, even if it isn't an overriding quest. He needs to go find himself, um, and he's just sort of been swept up in the tide of this adventure. Um, but you know, saying assuming you guys actually uh, successfully navigate the dangers ahead of you, and he makes it out, what what does no one want to do next? Well, it's interesting. He is neutral, and he's torn between being good and torn between being evil. And he's presented with choices. So I see it. He needs to decide which side of that coin he needs he land needs up. to land on. You know, being uh, wishy-washy neutral is good for surviving, and it's good for keeping your head low in the streets when you're mm-hmm. buying a loaf of bread. But it's not adequate for someone who's going to make a mark in the world yeah, and clearly at this hand, point yeah. you know the party is is getting up levels they they show up to a village and they're the heroes so mm-hmm. no one has already made a mark in the world even if it's a small part of the world so he mm-hmm. needs to decide exactly how that's going to be and, and how's it been for no all of a sudden he's gone from being ostracized <laughs> to being ignored essentially to all of a sudden even if he's not you know, enthusiastically accepted all of a sudden, like you said, being the hero and being able to walk into an area and, and having people recognize his prowess. Well, they recognize his prowess, but they still fear him. Yeah. You know, he will never get the hero's welcome that the elves would. Probably. Even the dragonborn, at least, doesn't have that air of menace. Maybe He's still a wild fearsome, but yeah. not, not uh, you know, devilish. Mm-hmm. And that strikes a... a Accord in everyone, so yeah. no one could literally be, uh, you know, a saint. Mm-hmm. Could have single-handedly saved the village from a goblin raid, mm-hmm. and they would still never trust him. Um, respect him, perhaps awe yeah. with more fear than yeah. than respect. Um, so he's he's got a choice in the party. He doesn't really care for Gurnvel. I mean, he got toasted by lightning early on. No one does not forget these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Arlen, he's just amused by the bumbling farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adri, he kind of keeps an eye out for, you know, maybe a younger sister type of mentality. And so if he's going to do good, um, it would be more towards her. And I, if if you pay attention during the podcast, you'll see instances where um he'll do something nice for her not just oh i gotta help the party but pick her and sometimes not it kind of depends and the uh half elves he loves 
Um, being an outcast himself when they discovered her heritage mm -hmm. and they drew blades on her, I was like, wow, here's these lawful good, you know, fairy folk who are supposed to be majestic. And they, you know, yeah. they turned on her faster than, you know, Gryffindor turned on Harry Potter when his name came out of the goblet. So yeah. he's it's, he still has a bone to pick yeah. with them. At the same time as I put in my Dungeon Master's notes, you know, having a drow appear in your party would rather be like having a Russian spy suddenly appear at the Pentagon. You know, even if you, uh, you know, played tennis with them every Sunday, all of a sudden you'd be completely shocked. So. Completely shocked is understandable. Yeah. On the brink of murder, you know, unacceptable. Yeah. And, um, you know, no one would have no compunction giving them the eternal sleep. Yeah. I mean, you know, they have to meditate, but, you know, they don't have their armor on all the time. But uh, actually, if you think about it, this is a pretty huge step just for Noan um, even doing nice things for Adri. Because certainly mm -hmm. the Noan that entered that monastery years and years ago would only have been looking out for himself. Because yeah. that's the only person he'd been able to trust up until then. Yeah. So. And he doesn't, you know, he's, you know, people assume he'd just be willy-nilly willing to kill someone. So when we met the uh, Selkie and the bubbling husband there by the shore... No one wasn't necessarily going to go on and just ice the dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not evil. Yeah. But he would have no compunction going in and roughing them up a little to get what he needs to know. The party thinks he'd just go in and murder them. So, <laughs> well, certainly Adri did. <laughs> yeah. You know, she who cast the first stone, Adri. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she is the only player so far that has actually killed other members of the party, including yourself. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. She just shot me. Nice. But I forgive her, you know. She was the junior monk. Yeah, Master Cho said, look out for her. She needs stuff. Until she needs to die. So when it's all over and um, no one's actually found himself out there and, and maybe returned to the uh, monastery to uh, to uh, uh, go and, and report back to Master Cho, uh, what then? You know, Theoretically, he'd be like a master himself. Would, would he start his own school? Would he set, retire and raise a bunch of dry, uh, demonlings? Or? <laughs> Two things. It depends. He will make. He will be great and make his mark on the world. If he chooses good, he would uh, maybe not start his own school. You know, he's going to not attract st students very well. But he could be a hero. He would probably live in an area and defend it. Maybe have a, an apprentice or two. If he's evil, he'll kill Master Cho and take over the school. And he would just kill Master Cho out of the blue. Hey, I'm back. Kill. Yeah. You know. And it would be over. So to totally turn to the dark side. So, you know, pull an Anakin. Really or good. not. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see where he goes down the line. Because obviously this is sort of a pre-interview interview. Because interview, uh, his backstory has not yet come to fruition here. So yeah. he's, he clearly has other things that are coming up in the future. And we'll just have to wait and see that. But thanks for stopping by and saying hello to us. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with him in the next episode. Until then, let us know what you think. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Email us at relicofthepastpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us at Relic of the Past on Twitter and Relic of the Past Podcast on Facebook. Articles and artwork are available at fullmedia.podbean.com. And thank you for playing in the world that lives inside my head.